It's Monday, and that so happens to be the day that I like to talk about monsters. Hello, everybody. I am Jeff Arbuckle, and this is Monster Mondays, presented to you by Film Seizure. Well, we've got ourselves a movie that's really the cat's pajamas. It's 1942's Cat People. Now, this was an RKO production, and the origin of the movie is kind of peculiar. By 1942... A Russian-American novelist by the name of Val Luton had risen to some prominence in Hollywood, and he uh, was an uncredited writer on Gone with the Wind for MGM. Now, you might say his prominence is somewhat dubious in retrospect. Like I said, he was an uncredited scriptwriter for Gone with the Wind, but he was also described by a fellow worker for David O. Selznick's bullpen of writers as saying that Gone with the Wind's novel was unfilmable, and Selznick would be making the mistake of his career if he went through with it. So I guess he kind of missed the mark with that prediction, but uh, it's known that Luton's main contribution to the film was the scene in which the camera pulled back to reveal all the wounded soldiers at the Atlanta depot. So not a bad thing to get credit for. Well, in 1942, he took up the job as being the head of the horror department at RKO. Uh, He was given three simple rules. One, each film had to come in under $150,000 for its budget. Two, the movies had to run under 75 minutes. And three, the studio will give them the titles. And beyond that, it didn't matter what he did about anything else as long as he delivered in those three ways. So, Cat People was his first film with RKO. And you can argue that it kind of features no cat people. Uh, But Luton would hire Jacques Tourner uh, to uh, direct and DeWitt Bodine to write. Now, these three men all had connections to Selznick and knew each other. Plus, they all worked on various scripts and treatments for cat people. Originally, Luton told Bodine that uh, he was to base his script on a short story called Ancient Sorceries. And it would have a period piece feel. Now, Tourner uh, didn't care for that idea, saying that for horror, it's probably best for the audience to be able to identify with the characters, the setting, and the plot. So, Luton changed his mind and handed down the edict that the movie would then be about a love triangle between a man, a foreign woman obsessed with abnormal fears, and a female office worker. Now, that said, there was a great deal of research done by Bodine on cultures and old tales about people who worshipped cats. There were feelings around the time that man-made monsters like vampires uh, or werewolves and all those things that Universal was doing were all kind of played out. Not too often was there really anything done with cats, so they let cats become a theme throughout the movie. The movie proved to be quite successful and launched a sequel directed by Robert Wise, who got his first work from Val Luton. Wise, of course, would go on to make Star Trek The Motion Picture. I I mean, he probably made a few other movies, too. It got a remake in 1982 written by Alan Ormsby, who co-wrote and starred in Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Now, I don't think he made any Star Trek movies or Academy Award-winning musicals. But anyway, really, this film's biggest legacy is how it used mood and atmosphere to put people into an uneasy feeling, even if there's no real scary thing jumping out at them. It's just suspenseful and knows how to use use its sound design, its editing, its pacing, all to its benefit. 
Several movies that followed in the mid-40s would cop to taking Luton's style for that eerie atmosphere and mysterious characters and goings-on. It's so well-revered to this day that it is a, a Criterion Collection film. So this movie opens at the Central Park Zoo in New York City with Serbian fashion illustrator Irina Dubrovna. Now, she's taking particular interest in the Black Panther and is sketching it. She catches the eye of Oliver Reed. No, not the actor, but the character. She seems a little unimpressed with him, but she does let him walk her home and carry some of her equipment. What he doesn't know, and what we see after they leave to walk home, is that she was drawing the panther being run through with what appears to be a ceremonial dagger. They get back to her home, and Irina admits to Oliver that uh, he might just be her first actual friend in America. She knows plenty of colleagues and people who she works with to do her sketches, uh, but she doesn't have any actual friends. Now, she is a little spooky. She does like to sit in her room with no lights on, saying that she does like the dark, and she also enjoys listening to the roars of the lion and the panther from the zoo down the street, even though her neighbors hate it. Hmm. Oliver points out her statue of King John of Serbia, and Irina tells him the story of how King John drove out the evil Mamelukes uh, who forced the natives of, uh, of Serbia to worship the devil, uh, and the statue of King John lifting a stabbed cat with his sword was a representation of how he defeated evil and brought Christianity back to Serbia. And this is because cats were apparently the symbol of evil, at least in this legend. I'd like to disagree with that, but whatever. Later on, Oliver has purchased a kitten for Irina. Now, upon meeting her, the cat immediately hisses. She says that just cats just don't tend to like her. So, yo, Oliver, this is what you would call a red flag. Now, she asks to go to the pet store to exchange the cat for a canary. When they go inside the store, all of the animals go nuts. So they go back outside, and Irina asks Oliver to go in by himself and pick out the canary so that she doesn't have to go back inside. The pet store owner even notes that cats just kind of seem to know when someone isn't right. As their relationship continues, Oliver expresses his love for Irina, but she admits that she never intended to fall for him in return but she has. Uh, she's quite upset over this whole, you know, falling in love with him because of that whole stuff about King John and her village. She uh, believes that if she were to feel great passion, she would transform into a large cat and would uh, become a monster. But Oliver tells her that those stories are just that, fairy tales. Months pass, and Oliver and Arena are set to be married and but some notice that arena is is a bit odd and another serbian who recognizes her uh, as being serbian who other people say quote unquote looks like a cat um comes up to arena and uh, kind of gives her an ominous greeting and it doesn't quite help that arena uh, that the janitor at the zoo tells her that the panther she's infatuated with is biblically evil so she's married has strange issues about what it would mean if she was happy she thinks cats are neat but they hate her 
She won't consummate her marriage with Oliver. She decides to play with her bird only for it to kill the bird. And the zookeeper says the panther she likes is a devil spawn as written in Revelations. Yeah, but sure, she just needs to live in America for a little while longer and be married to an American man as Oliver suggested. Yeah, sure. So Oliver talks Irina into going to see a psychiatrist, Dr. Judd, who believes that her issue stems from childhood trauma over the mysterious death of her father. Now, Irina comes home to find Oliver talking to his co-worker friend, Alice, who, much to Irina's dismay, knows that she went to see Dr. Judd. This gets Irina upset at Oliver. This eventually launches the trio of Oliver, Irina, and Alice into a triangle of confused feelings and obsessions. Alice is fully aware of Oliver's issues with Irina, and as time goes on, Irina has stopped seeing Dr. Judd. When Oliver admits to being unhappy, Alice admits that she's in love with him and always has been. Oliver is starting to question whether or not he actually truly loves Irina, and as Irina uh, continues to avoid Dr. Judd and refusing to get help, Irina starts to stalk Alice, convinced that an affair is blossoming. After seeing them at a dinner late at night, she has every reason to believe there is something going on between the friends. Irina decides to follow Alice home, and in doing so, possibly becomes something else, which ultimately scares Alice quite a bit. Oliver, Irina, and Alice would later attend a museum, but and Irina becomes quite irritated by being disregarded by the other two. She follows Alice again, this time to her apartment, where Alice goes for a swim and starts to hear low growls and sees the shadow of a large cat. Her screams alerts the employees at the apartment building, but Irina shows herself as being normal. But after she leaves, Alice finds her robe all torn up. Alice now believes that Irina can indeed transform into a cat, as with the stories from Serbia. So Alice talks to Dr. Judd, who decides to talk to Irina. He convinces Irina to attempt to uh, shake these fantasies with cats and so forth, but just when Irina is excited to tell Oliver that she's ready to be the wife that she wanted to be and that he hoped she would be, he tells her it's too late and that he's dumping her for Alice. While working late one night, Alice and Oliver are cornered by a panther that Oliver truly believes to be Irina. It doesn't help that they smell her perfume, that she's a big fan of lilac perfume and probably wears a, a little bit too much, and they smell that in the lobby of their office. But he does call upon God to ward off the creature. They hurry to call Dr. Judd to avoid, and tell him to avoid Irina at all costs, but he decides to see her anyway and to kiss her passionately. It's kind of indicated that she became the panther that we saw trying to corner Alice and Oliver at their office, but it's only seen in shadow, and she ends up killing Dr. Judd. Um, she goes to the zoo and frees the panther in the cage, and the panther attacks her and kills her immediately. And then, as it lunges over the wall of the zoo and out into the street, it's killed by a car. When Alice and Oliver arrive, they find a dead panther outside the cage. Oliver says that Irina never lied to anyone about her condition. So let's get to my three things that I like about 1942's The 
cat people. Now, first, I will say that the actress playing Irina, who is Simone Simon, is a very interesting woman. She's beautiful, but she's not exactly glamorous in this movie. She almost feels immature in some ways, like she's stunted by her own superstitions. Her accent is kind of peculiar, too, and that's likely because she's actually a French actress, so maybe she's not really putting on a full Eastern European accent, but she's still exotic. I mentioned that she's kind of stunted by her own superstitions, but I don't think that's the read that I at least get on this movie. I feel that this is a story about mental illness and maybe even some psychological abuse that an entire culture puts on its people. As for my second like, uh, I'm going to put the attention on the other person in this couple, Oliver. As Oliver spends more time with Irina, the more unhappy he becomes. At times, he's almost obsessively trying to make her happy, which, it turn, in turn, makes him unhappy. Uh, this is a fairly interesting take on toxic relationships that have devolved into desperation. He's losing his focus on his own happiness and his own life, trying to keep his relationship together. It's like he has to help Irene, Irina, but it's that's not really his job. There's an interesting read on this couple, much as her superstition should be looked at as potentially a mental illness thing. Oliver's desperate attempt to keep their marriage together is kind of an interesting take on the social construct uh, of marriage in itself. Divorce was not a very common thing back then, and it would be expected that this couple stay together, and it's actually tearing them apart and changing Oliver from a happy, confident person into a man lost in depression and questioning his own decisions. To complicate things, Dr. Judd almost seems to be obsessed with Irina, too, almost as if he's kind of obsessed over her based on all she's told him about these superstitions that is kind of romanticized in his mind, or possibly for other reasons. It's very possible that you could read this as Irina being a bit of a succubus as well, draining from the men around her to sustain herself as they kind of wither away in their obsession with her. Now, my third like is the greatest mystery of them all. Exactly what is Irina? Uh, in the centerpiece scene in which Irina uh, decides to follow Alice home after seeing her with Oliver, the sound completely drops out and it comes down to footsteps, shadows, and subtle sounds of rush rustling bushes before one of the earliest jump scares in cinema history happens with a bust suddenly appearing from the right side of the frame with breaks that sound like a hissing cat. It's a near-perfect scene in blocking and overall design. Uh, it's also followed up with the immediate discovery of a dead sheep and cat-like paw prints leading away from the sheep's pen. So based on Irina's own superstition, did she turn into a panther when she experienced great passion, in this case, anger towards Alice, or did she just act out in a way to murder a defenseless animal? The empirical evidence of this movie would tell us that she does indeed transform into a panther, but without actually seeing the transformation with our own eyes, it could be illusion or projection. Uh, even when the most obvious indication that she does indeed turn into a panther at the very end, it's still somewhat obscured by her black fur coat. Uh, it all leads to this marvelous noir horror suspense film that can still be considered one of the best early examples of horror nearly 80 years later. 
Now that wraps up this week's Monster Mondays. Now don't forget to check out new episodes of Film Seizure every Wednesday and a new installment of Monster Mondays each Monday on FilmSeizure.com. You can catch these shows in places where fine podcasts are found like SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Audible, and Spotify. Additionally, you can hop on over to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and follow us by just searching for Film Seizure. Hey, and while you're at it, head over to my website, bmovieenema.com, and read new text articles each and every Friday. You can also follow bmovieenema on Facebook and Twitter by searching for just that, bmovieenema. But until next week, stay spooky. <laughs>